Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to Midi the Podcast, a modern day podcast designed to answer all of your weird and wonderful pregnancy and postpartum questions. I'm your host, Monique Maitland, qualified midwife and nurse founder of the Midi Society and someone who is about to become your personal in-pocket midwife and virtual best friend. The Midi Society is a community-based platform where we interview leading healthcare professionals, new mummers and everyday people who share with us their experiences and reveal what they wish they knew before becoming a parent. So buckle up for this crazy and exciting ride. I'll be talking all things tits, bits, spew and poo. All right, let's get started. Today's episode is proudly brought to you by Training With Mates, your local supportive fitness community that strengthens health, performance and lifestyle goals through expert coaching, fun and mateship. Exercising whilst pregnant can be a little bit daunting with most of us not knowing what we actually can and can't do. But with Training With Mates Active Mum classes, personalised programs and extensive knowledge about safe exercise in pregnancy, they can help you best navigate staying fit and healthy during pregnancy and in the postpartum period. In today's episode, I speak with midwife, childbirth educator and mother of four, Erin Fibbs, about her parenthood experience. Erin shares with us her four pregnancy journeys, discussing both the many highs and lows. From a difficult conception journey to high-risk pregnancies, induction of labour, post-birth complications and the hard truth behind the fourth trimester of baby sleep and breastfeeding, Erin shares her own advice and reassurance on how you can best prepare for a big family, juggling a mother's mental load, the mum life balance and making time for yourself. Please welcome the incredible Erin Fibbs. Hello everyone and welcome back to Midi the Podcast. Today I am joined by a super well-educated woman. She's a midwife, a mum of four and a you know, breath of fresh air, really, Erin Fibbs. So Erin, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Hi, Mon. Thanks for having me. Um, I am, like you said, a midwife. Um, Currently on maternity leave, I've just had my fourth baby close to six months ago. Um, And I also, in what little spare time I have, run the birth trust which is a um, childbirth education business of mine um, which keeps me quite busy as well yes I really don't know how you do it we we're just saying I don't know how you do this with kids um, but we will get into the birth trust a little later of this episode but basically today Erin and I are going to be talking about her motherhood journey with her four children I just don't even know how you've already had four kids you don't look like you don't look old enough <laughs> kids and you look well too like way too healthy and not sleep deprived which I'm sure is not the case but can you talk us through I guess a little bit about all of your pregnancy journeys? Sure Um, we'll start at the beginning Um, so I was ready and have been ready was ready to have babies from as early as I can remember like I was keen 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 um I was just waiting on my husband who was dragging his feet a little bit um, and, you know, wanted to have all of these certain things ticked off and done before we had started having children. Um, 
So one of them, and I'm in hindsight very grateful, is that he wanted me to have finished my midwifery degree um, because he knew me well enough to know that if I got myself pregnant and didn't hadn't finished my degree yet I probably wouldn't have gone back to do it um so finished that and then um finished my grad year and then um the following year it was like okay right let's have a baby and it wasn't as easy as we thought it was going to be um I think we spent probably two and a half years maybe close Mm. to three years trying to conceive our first baby um and which was a bit of a shock to us um and you know we got all the saw 101 doctors and fertility specialists and things and got the old diagnosis of unexplained infertility um and I was quite young at the time and um there's a few years difference between Joel and I um, so we both sort of went down the path of like testing me, testing him, seeing if there was anything or any reason. And of course there wasn't, um, yeah. a few fertility specialists I saw just basically took one look at me and went, Oh, you know, you're young, fit and healthy. You'll conceive, you'll be fine. And sent me on my merry way, which didn't sit well with me. I like to be, I'm very proactive and want answers. Yeah. Um, so finally I found a doctor who was willing to just, um, go with what I wanted and I put my foot down and I said I want to do um, a laparoscopy and investigate further and see what's going on which we did and I discovered I had stage three endometriosis Mm. which was probably what was stopping me from falling pregnant Um, and had that all sort of cleared out the best we could uh, during that surgery and then they basically said to me we'll try try again for the next three cycles hopefully you fall pregnant if you don't our recommendation is to start IVF as soon as possible um and I think on that third cycle no first second and third failed those next three cycles I, I didn't fall pregnant and then I was waiting on my period and I took a pregnancy test because we were due to start um an IUI cycle um I took a pregnancy test two days before and I got a positive oh so So, exciting (laughs) and that and that was our little guy Quinn so he um came just in time Mm. and um yeah that was super exciting but aside from all the struggles to get pregnant that that pregnancy in itself was really low risk and normal and I enjoyed every minute of it um loved being pregnant didn't really suffer any significant morning sickness or anything so sort of just cruised through and yeah yeah, loved it and how old were you at that point when you first started to try um how old was I 20 in my early 20s because I was 20 someone asked me this question on on my Instagram the other day I was 27 when I had Quinn yeah so I was early 20s when we started trying um and yeah I think like looking back now and when I think about other people and and where they when they start trying and start having families that obviously seems young Mm. um but to me it didn't really feel like that like my I have a twin sister and she'd already Yeah. yeah and she'd already had children um 
yeah, she had, she just had her second son and I felt like I was like slipping behind. I was like, oh, I want to be doing this with her. You know, I want to be in amongst the whole motherhood thing and and journey with her and experiencing it with her. So I definitely wanted to sort of get things going and start my family. Yeah. And there's definitely like a, I guess society defines a certain age that we should be having like children now and the younger 20s, I guess people sort of turn their noses up towards those women that have babies younger, yeah. which is just not fair. And, you know, I've definitely touched on it on the pod before is um, whenever you're ready is the perfect time and that's all that matters. It shouldn't matter about what anyone else is what saying. What anyone else thinks, yeah. Yeah, I think if you, you know, if there are things you want to get done first, great, get them done. But at the end of the day, you you're never really ready to have a baby. Like it's, you know, you can do all the things that you want to do and get done and tick off your lists and whatever else, but, um, and, and prepare as much as possible. But the only thing that really prepares you for having a baby is having a baby, you know, it's (laughs) it's like until you have one, you don't really, really get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then talk us through the rest of your pregnancies. Um, So, from there it all went a little bit pear-shaped um yeah so the like I said I really enjoyed that pregnancy was super low risk normal um was fantastic the birth not so much um I went into spont labor um with Quinn and I had so I went into labor on my own sorry I'll try not to use (laughs) midwifery (laughs) terms um yeah went into labor on my own um at just a few days shy of my due date so at 40 weeks and I had days and days of spurious labor so contracting but not really doing much at all and then um had him via forceps and it was a bit of a nasty forceps birth um and I had an episiotomy and the works basically um and I had quite a significant postpartum hemorrhage so um lost a lot of blood and then was walking around the hospital around the ward looking a a little bit like a corpse a few days later and Mm. all of my friends and colleagues were like what are you doing you need you need a transfusion (laughs) um and I think on day four postpartum I had two units of red cells and um which for some reason I don't know and I can't explain this to people but I just why I say it was day four is I kept putting it off you know they kept recommending it they kept sending different doctors in saying you'll feel so much better like do it do it do it and something was telling me not to do it and by day four I was like I need to just listen and and surrender and do what you know what they're saying is going to be best for me and I did it and I never felt better nothing Mm. you know it it didn't help at all um and I went home and then months down the track when I found out I was pregnant with my second baby did my antenatal bloods and discovered that I was isoimmunized so had little c antibodies Mm. um which we think might have been from the transfusion um because I didn't have them in my first pregnancy yeah and so that then threw a spanner in the work so every pregnancy since has been considered high risk and I've been seen in a maternal fetal medicine unit um and monitored quite closely yeah yeah Mm. and um (laughs) Erin said that 
Quinn was born by a forceps and I've definitely said this a few times on the podcast again to explain it but basically um, it's an instrumental delivery where they put I guess metal forceps a bit like we say like salad servers on the baby's head and just help assist to get them out Um, and then she did go on to have a bleed after he was born and bled a bit more than we probably would have hoped and basically they rechecked the blood um, post-birth and that indicated that potentially she needed to replace some of those red blood cells that were lost. Yeah. Yeah, so it was a bit, um, the first birth wasn't great, wasn't probably what I would, what I thought I was signing myself up for, Um, but we know that birth, you know, it's never goes well they say it never goes to plan especially for midwives so um yeah then river's pregnancy was well otherwise like i felt great um second pregnancy with a little toddler running around is a whole different story quinn was only i think he was he was only just i think he was 17 or 18 months old when river was born so he was still really little throughout mm-hmm. the pregnancy um, and still very much needed me. So there was that on top of um, everything else. Mm-hmm. And um, But it was okay. I still felt well in myself. I knew pretty much straight away that it was another boy because I was like, this feels exactly the same to me. Um, and we did. We found out his gender. So we knew that we were having another boy. And then... Um, there was the decision of how am I going to birth this baby because of how the birth went with Quinn. I'd had a few doctors say like, if it's up to you, if you feel like you want another vaginal birth by all means. Um, But it's, you know, if you wanted to have a cesarean, we understand just because um, after the episiotomy and I had a very long recovery period um, Mm. and I ended up with quite a nasty infection and, um, yeah, it took about six, anywhere between, I think it was like six to eight months for my peri to recover. Yeah. Um, so there was apprehension there about having another vaginal birth. Um, but and your midwifery brain would have just been running wild. Yeah, running wild and I couldn't turn it off and I thought, and it very much affected the, that first year of, of being a mum. Like I felt, yeah. I constantly felt like, did I do something wrong? Could have I done this? Like, like you know, that didn't work out. Maybe I went to the hospital too soon and, you know, like Mm -hmm. all the things that run through your mind of like, what could have I done differently um, rather than just going, okay, this is, this is how it unfolded and, and let's move on. Let's move forward rather than think, you know, get stuck in the past. Yeah. And being Um, hard on yourself for something that I guess was out of your control. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, So took a long time to sort of come to be at peace with that and it really wasn't until I had River um, that I could be at peace with the birth of Quinn Um, and I knew that I needed to have a vaginal birth go well to be at peace with everything else that had happened. Um, So I I did, I went for it and um, the way in which I went for it was I opted to have an induction um, yeah. which was on the cards anyway because of the ISO immunisation. So with the antibodies, basically we got to a point where they were saying, like, your baby still looks really well and healthy, so let's um, – and, you know, you've 
your past term. So let's get him out while we can um, before, you know, potentially anything going wrong. So, um, and I was more than happy to do that because I felt, felt okay about that idea and that process. So that's what, that's how we came to meet River. Yeah. How are your emotions yeah. building up to that? I guess trying to push those other emotions from your previous birth to the back of your mind. How did you feel going in for the induction? Um, I was super excited. I felt a lot of people ask being a midwife, like, was an induction really what you wanted? And, you know, did were you scared of an induction? Just knowing that the increased risk of intervening and all the rest of it. But I, it was definitely what I wanted. Like I pushed for the induction. Um, I knew the risks versus the benefit. You know, I knew, I, yeah. I weighed up everything beforehand and I was super excited to labour again. Like I just yeah. love labour. <laughs> um, and like I'd do it every day if I could. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah, so I was so excited and um, I was having him at work again. I have had my first three babies at work, so I knew that I knew who would be there and, um, yeah, it just felt really exciting. And then until we got sort of into the labour, into the thick of it, and then I started yeah. having a little bit of a crisis of confidence and freaking out a bit about my peri. Everything yeah. else was fine, but I couldn't, I couldn't let go of that fear of, oh my gosh, what am I going to feel? Is it just going to fall apart on me? Like what's going to happen? Um, so I think I got to about seven centimetres, I want to say, from memory and then really freaked out and, and just started telling everyone in the room, I was like, I can't do this. If I, if I yeah. can feel my peri, I'm not going to push. I can't do this. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I opted to have an epidural yeah. at that point and I had an epidural put in probably just in time and then um, had a really slow controlled birth Amazing um, to try and, you know, make sure yeah. that everything was okay peri-wise. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's and amazing. Well. Oh, so good. I'm so glad that that was a bit more of a healing experience for you. Um, yeah. I was going to say, what was the indication for the previous birth in terms of the forceps and the episiotomy? Um, so basically delayed second stage. So I'd been laboring for a long, long time. Um, and like my, I was just exhausted and there was really in terms of maternal effort, like I was, I just couldn't do it. And I'd been pushing for a long time. So they, um, were a bit concerned about him recovery post every time I pushed you know they they were saying like he's not doing as well we've been doing this for a long time like let's hurry up and have a baby um so Mm. that's what we did um yeah yeah. but even in the moment like I couldn't get out of my head I couldn't switch off the midwifery brain um which I think to my own detriment really because I was like thinking about everyone else I remember saying and my husband when he talks about it um I remember grabbing him like when I saw the doctor's feet underneath the little curtain, when I saw them come in through the door, I realised like my heart sunk and I realised it was going to be an instrumental birth and I grabbed his shoulders and like I pulled him quite close to me and I said, I heard someone say forceps and that's like the last thing I wanted. I didn't want a forceps Mm. birth. And I said to him, you need like, don't freak out, don't freak out. It's going to be really quite scary, but 
like it's going to be okay and he was like oh and I was like running through quickly giving him a little debrief of like this is going to happen and this is going to happen and there's going to be people in the room rather than just focusing on me and what I needed to do I was too worried about like him and how he would cope um but yeah yeah I think he was very um a bit traumatized by all of that as well and so us both going into another birth not that long after the first one um took a bit of courage from the two of us and I think I say River's birth was healing he was like oh I don't know it was still a bit scary um and it wasn't until we went through the third birth of um of winter that we both that he was more at ease as well so yeah yeah and how did that birth with winter go um that was amazing it was I think her birth is my favorite she um was induced as well so at exactly the same gestation I was induced at 38 weeks and three days um I knew the whole pregnancy that she was a lot smaller than my boys like I just felt a lot smaller when I pelped my tummy like I could feel her and I was like she's a little itty bitty thing um so I felt pretty pleased about that I was like that's that's another tip um and I really really wanted to do it with like basically as natural as possible with the with the third one like I didn't want I don't really like to say natural but I didn't basically I didn't want to use pain relief if I didn't have to um and yeah went in for an induction had um prostin so had gel put in I think I had three doses of Frostin, even being a multi three, like I was like, everyone was like, God, like, you know, come on, hurry up and have a baby. Um, And once I got into labor though, it it was all systems go pretty quickly. Um, It was like just getting to the point of being able to break my waters and got to that point, didn't require syntocin. And so they didn't put the drip up. Um, by then I was laboring I was in labor well and truly I was contracting well and I remember they broke my waters and I just I wanted to lay on the bed for a minute like I was like I had the bro- my waters broken and I just remember thinking I just want a little rest and I remember saying to um, my friend who's a midwife and she was there and she's been at all my births and I remember saying to her I'm just gonna have a little rest and she was like no you're not get up get yeah. off the bed get off the bed yeah. and I was like no and she's like get off the bed before the next contraction um, and I just rolled off the bed onto my knees onto the floor and with the next contraction had her head like her head was born Oh my goodness! Um, and then her body with the one after, so yeah. it was super quick once once my waters were broken. Yeah, classic multi birth, all yeah. in one, pretty much yeah. one push wonder. Oh my god! Yeah, it was amazing. Like I don't even remember pushing, um, and I did. I had I had no pain relief. I didn't like. I just it was super simple. It was just like go in, let's get this labor started. Got it started, and then had a baby. Yeah, and Erin touches on um, having prostin and that's just one of the ways that we can, um, I guess, help ripen the cervix to prepare for the induction. So that's what um, she had. And then going into (laughs) after three, you just, you couldn't help yourself and you thought, I'm I'm pretty good at this. Let's try again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't, wasn't, well, winter was a bit of a surprise. So we actually weren't trying to have a baby when I fell pregnant with winter. We'd just finished a renovation 
Um, And so we literally just moved back into our house, having just finished the renovation. It was beautiful. I was like, oh, and then um, it was like, well, we're having a third baby and we can't have three babies here. This is a bit awkward. Um, And there wasn't enough room for us all. So then um, it was like, well, we're going to have to move. Um, (laughs) I mean, we didn't have to. The boys were already sharing a room. Um, And we did end up bringing Winter home back to that house. Um, And it was fine. We could have stayed there, but it was very squishy. And knowing what we know now and the pandemic and and my husband working from home, we're pretty glad we moved. Um, And then moved. And then there was actually another pregnancy in between Winter and Elliot, um, which, again, wasn't something we were trying for at the time. which was a a bit of a, um, I mean, at the time when I found out I was pregnant, we were both super happy. I was over the moon, but I was very scared. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, winter's so little still, like how are we going to do this? Um, and I just felt super overwhelmed, which I hadn't ever felt before falling pregnant. Like I was mm-hmm. like, Every time, every other time I found out I was pregnant, I was thrilled even when I found out I was pregnant with Winter and it was a surprise. This pregnancy felt really different and I didn't know why um, until I went to a dating scan. And Mm -hmm. I went to my dating scan and there were two of them. So um, I found out I was pregnant with twins at that dating scan and then it became pretty it was pretty obvious to me only from having had numerous ultrasounds before and probably being a midwife that um, they were MCMA twins. So, um, so that you all know what I'm talking about. Um, They were twins that were sharing a placenta, but also sharing an amniotic sac. Um, One of our highest risk twin pregnancies that you can have. Yep. Um, so of course, again, being a midwife and not being able to switch off that that knowledge and that side of things and knowing all that I knew, um, petrified from the beginning. Like I was like, this yeah. isn't gonna go well and, and yeah, like I said, I just had that instinct and that feeling from the very beginning before I'd even had a scan. Um and so said goodbye to those little twinnies at just shy of twelve weeks. Um, in 2020 um, towards the end of 2020 which was I mean would have been horrendous in any year but was probably compounded with the whole pandemic and having to go to that all those appointments by myself like I went to that dating scan by myself where I discovered the twins um, Mm. which in itself was like mind-blowing I was like oh my goodness Um, I'm gonna have five babies under five (laughs) and um yeah yeah so that was really really heartbreaking and hard and that you know that was a hard year for us and then without really you know I wasn't really trying I thought I need to heal from this and I need to sort of focus on me for a while um which obviously I'm not great at doing for too long because then I found out I was pregnant with Elliot in December of that Mm. year so a few months later, it was about three or four months later um, that I found out I was pregnant with her. So that that's how we came to find out we were having a fourth 
and thankfully yeah. I mean I say thankfully obviously if it, if it had been multiples again I would have you know been happy but at the same time been a bit scared of how I was yeah. going to have so many children um yeah. but yeah it, it's just being one in there felt far more doable yeah yeah, yeah. and of course having like multiples of kids is hard no matter what but your midwifery brain and you know that sort of twin pregnancy is such a high risk because they're sharing that placenta and I guess they're in the same sack so they can get tangled with each other just yeah super tough having the medical knowledge behind you but also having three other like young kids um I I think you did the right thing for you and, Mm -hmm. you know, other people can always say other things, but same thing, whatever worked best for you at that point was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I think like winter hadn't yet turned one and um, I had so many scans in between that first scan that I had, that first dating scan. And I, you know, I went to all the different specialists and I was like, who do I want to see? Like knowing, you know, who's the best at, at ultrasounds and things I I sought out all the people that I wanted to see um and I felt pretty confident I knew that by I think by eight weeks their um umbilical cords were already tangled Mm. um they already had knots um at eight or nine weeks and I was like this is not gonna go well um so yeah it was really difficult it was probably the one of the most difficult decisions I've ever had to make and Mm. um you know you can always I always think back on it I'm like could have I done it could I not have done it the idea of having to be on bed rest um and be hospitalized from a very early gestation until their birth was just awful because I was like I'm going to be leaving behind three very young babies at home um who wouldn't have been able to come in and visit because of no pandemic restrictions and things um yeah so it was massive it was a massive year for me 2020 um and then little Elliot came along and yeah yeah, she was um again a little bit of a surprise but we knew having been pregnant earlier in the year we we obviously knew we wanted to have another baby um and I very much told Joel that I wasn't finished so um (laughs) yeah it was it was it's a nice little I think maybe a, a, a little bookend like yeah I, I want to say I'm done <laughs> <laughs> don't let Joel listen to this <laughs> yeah well yeah he he's like we're done we're done we're done yeah. um but yeah I think I'm, I'll probably never feel done you know people say you know when you're done um but I don't know that I'll ever feel done yeah I have to just come to terms with that <laughs> yeah did you always um I guess know that you wanted to have a big family um I think growing up I used to think I wanted two I never ever wanted three um I'm one of three um but I'm a twin myself so I I'm one of sort of an accidental three I think my parents wanted two and then they got a bonus um but I just felt like three didn't work so growing up I was like I never want to be one of three you know I don't I don't want my children to ever be one of three um so I always wanted two or four and then once we had winter I was like well we're gonna have to have another one (laughs) we're locked in Joel we're having another baby (laughs) he knew that like as soon as we had as soon as I was pregnant with our third he was like oh I think we're probably gonna have a fourth yeah so how old are all of um your children now 
uh, so our eldest is five and then our second just turned four and then winter's two and Elliot's five months. Yeah. So very, very busy. Um, yeah. How did you go prepping for, I guess, each baby in terms of your other children? Like how did you go educating them that, you know, there's going to be another baby that comes into the house? How did they react to that? Um, I didn't really do much, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, there was a little bit of practising of being gentle. Um, so we got some, when I was pregnant, uh, when I was pregnant with River, get it preparing Quinn, he, like I said, was still really young. So I got him like a baby doll and I used to like show him like where you, you know, don't poke its eyes and, you know, all the rest of yeah. it in terms of how to be gentle with a baby. Um, but I mean, it's, it all changes when you actually bring a real baby home. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there wasn't much preparation with, um, I waited longer and longer each subsequent pregnancy to tell them um, that there was going to be another baby. Um, and obviously after the twins experience, I waited a very long time. Like I, I didn't tell them about that pregnancy um, and then waited even longer with my pregnancy with Elliot to tell them that I was having another baby. Um, yeah. I think I was probably 21 weeks or something before I told them about that yeah. pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess everyone stresses about bringing a baby home and how are my other children going to react? Um, so it's so interesting to hear you say that because I think it's refreshing that you don't always have to do something as well. Why? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was about just letting it happen and yeah. and responding the way I needed to respond with each child because obviously they're all so different. Um, like they've definitely all had very different responses to an addition to the family, um, you know, like, Quinn responded a certain way to River. Rivers then he's quite maternal and he was very different with Winter. Um, and just as they all three of them are different with Elliot. So it's, yeah, it's um, been an eye opener to learn, you know, to really trust yeah. that they're all very different in their own respect and, and to just respond accordingly. Yeah. And linking in with that, I guess, how did you juggle that newborn postpartum phase with, you know, especially once you got to Elliot and you had three other still quite young children running around the house? How did you go about, you know, making sure that you're feeding and sleeping and look like spending enough time with all of your kids? I mean, it's, yeah. I'm one of four, so I totally get it. I'm the baby of the family. And I think by the time it got to me, I was sort of just shoved to the side a little bit and just taught to just get yeah. on with it um but how do you go juggling that um so feed I would say feeding's definitely the hardest and I felt that in with each baby um because especially in the beginning if you're breastfeeding like it's not a quick process it's like okay baby mm -hmm. needs a feed and you've got to sit down and be comfortable and you're potentially going to be there for 40 minutes 45 minutes before baby's done and you've then you've got settling to do and nappy changes and all the rest of it. Um, and doing all of that with toddlers is near impossible. Um, so, yeah, it's all about learning the juggle, really. So, like you said, with at, by the time you get to four, like <laughs> a baby a baby is actually quite patient and will, yeah. in most cases, wait if they have to, um, whereas toddlers do not have any patience. So, you know they want a snack they want a snack now and so yeah. I learned very quickly if I 
do what they need and appease them and get that done and out of the way as quickly as I can, then I can get back to doing what I need to do with the newborn or with the baby. Um, Yeah, so that was one way around it. But sometimes, like, they all need me all at the same time and it just feels impossible. It's like I've got, you know. No time. No time. I'm juggling too many balls. There's too many balls in the air and it's like something's got to give. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't do everything yourself no. either. <laughs> you know, you can't. You're running a like successful online business too, and you know you've got to look after yourself postpartum, fit in your sleep and recovery for yourself. Um, was there a point, I guess, where like what would you say? I know you just touched on feeding. Would you say that was the biggest challenge postpartum in your recovery? Yeah. So for me, especially this time round, um, lack of sleep and the struggles with feeding um, because obviously it's it gets harder and harder and harder and the further you get into your postpartum journey with numerous other small children um, if you're getting you know next to no sleep it's just it gets harder and harder as the months go by so yeah yeah we've had a real struggle with with our fourth in terms of feeding and sleep and it's just been a matter of survival. It's like, what can we do to, to just keep ticking along until something changes? <laughs> yeah. And I know little Elliot, she was keeping you awake with her sleep. Did you mm-hmm. um, get any support during those times? Um, not really. So a lot of in terms of having support here and home almost felt impossible because of you know COVID and restrictions and all the rest of it um and also wanting to keep um the other kids well and healthy and safe and all the rest of it as well so not not enough I would say not enough in-person support um not as much as I would have liked but by you know by our fourth baby sort of Joel and I knew what each other needed um, Mm -hmm. and figured out a way to sort of try to make it work for all of us. Um, I probably get the least amount of sleep out of everyone, Um, but I know it's not forever and and I just had to keep reminding myself. I have a huge amount of support from my sister um, who just so happens to be a sleep consultant as well. So um, you know, she reassures me all the time about like normal sleep and, and things I can change and little tweaks I can do here and there or try, you know, like she'll suggest things or just reassure yeah. me that it's normal. Um, so, yeah, but I fall on her for, for most of my support in terms of sleep and, and all the emotions that come with lack of sleep. Mm. Well, I think it's also important to note like exactly what you just said. It can be normal and it is just reassuring yourself. But sometimes when you're in the thick of it, you can't see that and you really just need someone to either tell you, A, you're doing a good job or B, you know, this is normal and this is going to pass and just roll with it. But it's very hard when you're emotional and exhausted, um, yeah, to see that. Yeah, I really struggle and I've sort of in the last few months struggled a lot with um, like feeling a little bit let let down by the system in with with each of my children because I've very much had a, a similar experience with each of them in that feeding has been incredibly hard and all of them have been really screamy unsettled babies around the clock and to me and in my mind and from what I know not in a normal way 
like not in what yeah. you expect from a normal newborn perspective. Um, but I've seen, you know, a million and one specialists and doctors here and there and I've spent, you know, endless amounts of money mm. and never really had answers. And it wasn't until sort of a month ago that I just broke down and I was so upset by it. And I was like, I don't even know who to turn to. Like I just mm. keep getting told the same thing. I present with my baby, my baby presents well and they're putting on weight and their temperament is fine during the day. But come evening, they are like screaming nonstop from, you know, evening until the morning, Mm. um, you know, and then crashing at 5am and wanting to sleep these big long stretches then. Um, And I'm not talking about, you know, newborn when the whole witching hour thing is a thing. I'm talking you know, five month old. So by then you'd think things would have settled down a little. Um, So yeah, for me, it was just like, I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to tread water until, until things start to settle down. And have they started to settle down? A little bit. Yeah. Yep. So we're getting a little bit more sleep um, and starting to do longer stretches of sleep at night. For me, I know that for her little tummy, it's actually important not to feed her when when she stirs um, because and determining when it's actual true hunger versus um, habit or comfort, yeah. um, which I guess just knowing those things just comes from experience, from mm. having done it before. Um, but, it, yeah, it makes me really sad thinking about, like, a first-time mum who wouldn't know that. Um, yeah. And you do very much get stuck in that cycle of like, what am I doing wrong? And, you know, how can I help my baby that seems to just be in pain constantly? Um, yeah. Especially when health professionals are just telling you, oh, it's normal newborn behaviour, like it's fine. Yeah. Like, not normal for my baby to scream for 12 hours and, yeah. grow, you know, writhe around in pain. No, no, yeah. so hard. And exactly what you just said like first time mums and especially over the last couple of years the support has been minimal and Mm -hmm. you and I both know that and I mean it is fortunate that you've had education behind you with your other previous pregnancies and births and postpartum periods but it is so tough and sometimes the answers aren't there and, you know, at the end of the day, you're a mum who wants to help their baby. And if you see your baby looking like they're in pain, you don't want to just sit back and do nothing. Yeah. Um, so I just can't even imagine how tough that would have been on you as well. Plus trying to yeah. look after all the other kitties and yourself and your relationship. Like it's a it's a very it's a big, <laughs> very big mother's mental load. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. And I guess this leads into making time for your partner yeah how do you guys I guess troubleshoot that I feel like there's minimal time to put that effort into each other and it's super important is there any I guess advice or tips that you could share with the listeners if they find themselves even like this doesn't (laughs) your face (laughs) this um I guess this can be with four kids or with three kids or with one baby, you know, is important to make time for each other. Is there any advice that you could give them? Um, Obviously, and I know you you hear it time and time again, but communication is like the number one thing and understanding each other's sort of love language, like understanding what each other needs from the other. 
um, both of us very much need know that we both need our own time to then be able to to put more love and and time into the into to each other as a couple um so allowing each other time to do whatever you know whatever we want alone um then makes us better as a couple which sounds a bit silly but um makes sense like from a from a relationship point of view um but finding time to do things together is near impossible and for both Mm. of us I think at the moment we've just surrendered to it and resigned ourselves to the fact that soon we will be able to pour you know time and love into one another again um and we just know it's only a matter of time really so it's about surviving now um and not not pushing each other's buttons too much between now and when we can come back to being a really close little unit again um yeah and just allow like you know, getting through the tough time and the, and this and the little struggles of sort of newborn life and and all that comes with it, um, and giving each other space when we need space as well. So, yeah, super yeah. important. Love that. And then, I guess most importantly, how do you go about looking after yourself? I just, I feel like I'm the worst at it. Yeah. <laughs> and lots of mums put themselves last it's just yeah I guess a natural instinct but how do you go juggling that mum and life balance um I like I said I don't do it well at all um I have learned that I need to be doing something to feel productive if I don't feel like I'm being productive um in something other than just being a mum then I'm like super cranky and short with everyone and very down on myself. Um, And that's sort of where my business came in because it was like, I'm so passionate about midwifery and helping people and supporting mums that I felt like I could pour a little bit of me, you know, just Erin rather than mum and, and, you know, wife and all the rest of it. I could pour that side of me into what I'm most passionate about. Um, and then feeling really productive in that, even if it was just little snippets of time here and there. Um, but yeah, I'm not great at carving out time. And again, I just know that as time goes on, more time will become available to me to get back to things that I love, like, you know, running and, and taking time out to do things that aren't just chores, you know, like leaving the house to do the groceries is not me time. That's a, a chore that needs to be done. um yeah at the moment I'm just like I said treading water and getting getting things done that need to be done and stealing time here and there tiny amounts of time to do things that I'm passionate about yeah well I think it's also important to note that it's okay to want your own time as well and do something for yourself yeah um, and take that mum hat off and you know midwife hat off and anything else and just be Erin uh, it's super yeah, important definitely I remind I try to remind people of that all the time in that I don't feel guilty about it you know it's necessary for everyone not just mums like we all need um our own time to do do sort of what lights us up and, and makes us feel happy even if it is you know for half an hour or something just try yeah. to find the time yeah yeah, you got to give back to yourself after giving to every single other person. Yeah. You can't pour um, from no. an empty cup. <laughs> oh, love that. No, you can't. Um, and I guess 
What do you think people should know about preparing for a big family? Um, one, that it's going to be a juggle, um, yeah. you, you know, and like you said, you can't do everything. So some things have to just fall to the wayside and, and know that there will come a time where, you know, those things are possible again. Um, but just I think organisation is key. If you want to have a big family, you need to be, um, I think, you know, only certain types of people also lean towards having several or lots of children um, yeah. because you need to love to be organised. You need to be a bit of a list writer and, um, yeah. you know, I think being ready and prepared for what's coming next very much helps if you've got several children, especially if they're all sort of very close in age. Um, yeah. But then again, I guess you could be the type that has like six, seven, eight children and just fly by the seat of your pants and not care how things go. That that could work too, but yeah. that's definitely not me. I'm very much like if I'm here and I'm doing the day solo, like jammies to jammies and don't have any help, I've got, you know, nappies pajamas everything out laid out ready, ready by midday so that I don't get caught up you know when it does come time to do bedtime um, yeah. very much a planner yeah wow that sounds like me to a T <laughs> so I think that's the way that I'm heading yeah um but to finish off this episode I always finish with Mon's fast five so short sharp Great. answers back and I'm gonna fire yeah. five questions you. Just um, just keep in mind I've got mum brain, so they might mean oh my goodness. <laughs> might not be that fast. <laughs> that is so fine. Looking back, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself now that you're a mum? Um, to always trust your instincts, trust yeah. your gut and run with it. Don't let anyone, if you feel like you need answers and something's not right, keep pushing until you get the answers you want or need. Yeah. Yeah, I really believe in maternal instinct. Um, something you wish you weren't so hard on yourself for? Uh, breastfeeding, feeding my babies. Um, I wish I didn't care as much as I do, but I do. And I am very hard on myself about it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you're not the only one. No. So many people do and I feel like with, as a midwife, you... I know that I think that I would feel that way. You'd have that little bit of midwifery hanging over your shoulder being like, this is everything that I'm supposed to be promoting and doing and I yeah. need to do it to fulfil like my role as a midwife. Yeah. Hmm. Um, one thing you wish you knew more about? I really wish I knew more about temperament types and um, emotional regulation in children. I just wish, mm. and I might, I mean, I'm trying to learn more about it now, but just having toddlers and things, knowing and understanding more about how to um, parent each of them according to what they need, um, you know, because they're all so different. So you get stuck in this mindset of like, I'm going to be a parent and parent this particular way, but, you know, each baby's actually quite different in their sensory needs. Um, yeah, so I wish I knew more about temperaments and how I could parent each of my babies yeah to what to how they need to be parented basically yeah it's so much to learn <laughs> never so stops. much to learn and never things stops. that you just don't like I would never have thought about something like that before coming becoming a mum so no. you know it's you're learning on the job really 
Yeah. Um, one thing you wish someone told you before becoming a parent? Um, how drastically your friendships and relationships can change and that it's actually quite normal. Yeah. And to not feel like you're alone in that. Mm. Um, yeah, and to be able to be at peace with it as well, I think. For me, it was a it was a rude awakening. I think I yeah. was the first, you know, one of the first people in my friendship groups to have a baby and it was um, eye-opening, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Um, your favourite motherhood hack? There's got to be a couple oh, here. <laughs> I don't even, I don't know, because I probably just do them without even thinking about it. Yeah. Um, there's all the common ones like, once your baby starts to learn to like take their nappy off or their sleep suit off or all those things, you start to put them on backwards. I love those ones. Um, I haven't heard of that. Oh, so once your baby, the toddler gets to a certain age, they start doing annoying things like take their own nappy off and they start unzipping their sleep suits and taking them off. Um, So that's when you start putting them on backwards. So you put the nappy on backwards. So the tabs are at the back, so they can't (laughs) undo the nappy. You put the sleep suit on backwards so the zip's at the back and they can't unzip it. I love um, that. Yeah, I love those. And you can't really think of any others off the top of my head. No, that's amazing. <laughs> I haven't heard of that one yet. So, yeah. that. There you go. Amazing. That's a big one. Super helpful yeah. because if your baby can get its nappy off and its sleep suit off in your cot, it often results in a very, very messy cot. So you're all welcome. <laughs> funny because my brain didn't even think like why backwards I mean this thing would probably work on me um Um, well Erin thank you so much for chatting with us today and what an amazing woman you are but just to finish off I just want you to share a little bit more about the birth trust you've just released your own like little masterclass with your sister and which is amazing so feel free to give it a little shout out and tell everyone about it Sure. So um, at the Birth Trust, I offer um, holistic and evidence-based childbirth education. So really supporting couples, whether they're first-time couples or second, third, fourth, um, in educating them and empowering them to to make um, decisions that they feel good about in their pregnancies, labour and birth. Um, And then I've just most recently... Um, release this masterclass with my sister who is a nurse and a sleep consultant and also a mother of three and um, together we thought one of the biggest things that new couples or new parents um, figure out pretty quickly that they need or want knowledge about is sleep normal newborn sleep so we thought why not sort of mesh or mush together childbirth education with a little bit of antenatal sleep education so that parents go into the whole newborn phase knowing a little bit more about normal newborn behavior and sleep um so that's the idea and we hope that we can get some new parents off the ground running and sort of feeling a bit better about the whole sleep thing (laughs) yeah well what a duo I mean midwife mother of four sleep consultant mother of three it's amazing there will be so many um there's so much good information in there and I guess where can the listeners find you um, so I am on Instagram at the birth trust, just all one word. Um, and Maddie is at sleep space AU. 
So, but if you find me, you'll probably find her and we look the same, <laughs> but we're not the same person. We <laughs> we I often have that. people being like, hang on, do you run this page and that page? It's like, no, no, that's just my sister. <laughs> oh, you should claim it because it looks like yeah. you're doing so much more. But thank you so much, Erin, for coming on today. I mean, I take my hat off to you. You're doing an incredible job and um, I hope that once you listen back to this, you can see how amazing that you are because it's it's not easy juggling all those balls and you're doing yeah a great job, even though you might be like a little duck on water with your legs yeah. swimming fast underneath, <laughs> treading water. But um, yeah, you're I doing... try to remain calm up here. So, <laughs> Well, you look it, you look it. So Thanks, thank you so Mom. much for educating my listeners. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode of MIDI. Your support means the absolute world to me. So if you loved this episode and want to stay up to date with the latest interviews and midwifery education, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For further information about this episode, please check the show notes below. If you wish to share your pregnancy and motherhood experience, you can get in touch with me by emailing hello at themidisociety.com.au and find us on Instagram at at themidisociety or at Monique underscore Maitland. I cannot wait for you to join me next week. I'll be talking all things flap chat. In the meantime, I hope you have an amazing week and remember you're doing the best you can. Mm-hmm.